Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Microcast and Microcosm Community Call. This call was recorded live on Friday, July 8th. This week's call was led by Zoe Rome with contributions from our wonderful coaches, Sarah Strong, Drew Connor, and Kylie Van Horn. In this episode, we focus on the mental side of consistent training. We talk about the importance of making long-term investments in yourself and athletic life while dealing with FOMO and regret. We get into the pitfalls of giving up Saturdays for long runs from both a training perspective as well as from a holistic view of living a balanced life. From there, we talk about social media, its negatives and positives, and how to maintain a healthy relationship with apps like Strava and Instagram, which often lead athletes to feel like they aren't enough. I hope you enjoy this episode. And as usual, if you have any feedback or a question for a future call, if you're looking for support in your running journey, please visit us on the web at microcosm-coaching.com or contact us at microcosmcoaching at gmail.com. Well, we've got some awesome questions today. TJ is getting his mental game all prepped for his race this weekend. Um, yeah, so I get to leave the call. I'm pretty excited. I love, love leading a Zoom. Um, I really love our first question. I feel like this is such a great thing. I feel like we get this a lot as coaches and I feel like it's something probably a lot of us have navigated um, to one extent or another in our own training. But the question is, I always find it tough to give up my Saturdays to do long runs when I see my friends out doing lots of cool adventures. I really want to show up in my races as my best self, but I really struggle with FOMO and making long-term investments in myself. Do you have any suggestions for dealing with this? I like that. I feel like this question kind of hints that the person is consistently choosing to invest in their training over adventures. And, you know, instead of trying to provide like a one size fits all answer to this, I think that it really comes down to understanding that no matter what you have to give up something like there is no way on this earth as it exists to have it all. If you adventure, if you're fully, you know, even if you adventure occasionally, that's going to affect your training. And if you're all in on training, like, yeah, you're going to miss out on some adventures with friends. And I think that the feeling of FOMO comes from a misunderstanding that like, there is this perception that we can have it all. And you just can't, like, you have to make decisions. You have to give things up. And actually it's in choosing um, to give some things up and to more fully invest in other things that makes that decision more meaningful. So leaning into and embracing that discomfort and knowing that no matter what, you're going to have to give something up. You're going to leave some amount of potential somewhere on the table. You're going to let someone down along the way. Um, and hopefully that person just isn't yourself, uh, at the end of the day. And I think that just understanding that you can't do it all, you can't be perfect at everything, um, you're always going to have some amount of you is always going to want to maybe wish you had done something else. So really trying to make long-term decisions that are in line with your core values, I think is the best way to proceed with this. So identifying like what's a higher value for you showing up as your best competitive self or having fun with friends. And, you know, as a coach, like sometimes it is frustrating to see folks consistently choose friends over the long-term training investment. But ultimately I respect that if an athlete's core value is in that time and adventure with friends, then that's the best decision for them. It's going to be, you know, a much different race day when that, when that time rolls around, but ultimately we're here to support folks in making decisions that are more in line with their long-term 
or with their core values. Thankfully, most people do have competing well as a core value and competition and connecting with folks through racing as something that they value. So we're here to help remind you that like, hey, you really value competition. You signed up for this race nine months ago. Let's make sure that we stay the course and don't get sidelined just because someone else is doing something else. Um, Sarah, I feel like this is something you could probably speak. Like you, you, you are someone that trains a therapist, B trains for pretty big races. C also does get out on really cool adventures, like with your family, with friends. I'd love to know how you approach balance and decision-making in this context. Yeah. So I, I think, um, it's really important that you don't feel like, you know, I can't do something or my coach won't let me, or I'm not mm. allowed. Um, and um, like think of, you know, try to pull back and maybe um, at, at the start of the season, you know, if you know, like, right, if you know um, winter is when everybody's hanging out and skiing and like that's when you get FOMO, then talking to your coach at the end of the fall, like, hey, can I, how can I build in three ski trips this winter? You know, what, what would be the best days to do that? Can we make this work? Like talking to your coach and really thinking about it and not doing like the impulsive, like it's Thursday night and people are going this weekend. And so now I'm going to try to like change everything. Um, so if you have some forethought and like, you know, recognize like these are the things I need. I need social time. I need time with my friends. How can I build that in and really plan it and think about it in advance? Um, and not deny yourself because if you feel resentful, then, then you'll start being resentful about running and then you're not going to enjoy the run. And it's like this whole vicious cycle. So you really want to feel like running's not taking away, like running is something that you want to do. So always, of course, going back to your why and holding that why um, and keeping that in mind. But yeah, I really think it's all about like planning and being um, right. Like there are times where it's, it's, you're building up, it's six to eight weeks from your race, it's like maybe not a great time to go and adventure with friends. And so having the conversations with your coach and being thoughtful about when you're putting those adventures in, but not totally denying yourself. Like they, you can fit them in. We, that's the joy of working with us and the, the microcosm approach is we're, we're constantly in communication. We can talk about these things. We want to support you in it. We can be flexible. Um, so yeah, I think that's the piece. It's, it's, it's making sure to not be um, like impulsive and really thinking about it in the big picture. Yeah, totally agreed that like a little bit of foresight can really make a big amount of difference in terms of scheduling in those, those really meaningful adventures. Kylie, I'd love to know uh, as my frequent training partner and friend, how you, how you balance this. Well, I feel like as a coach, um, I like for my athletes to put in um, like if they have anything upcoming, uh, they always put it in ahead of time. Like if they're like planning on going to the beach or to a concert or something with their friends. And then, um, then I try to build the training around that and take that into consideration. So kind of, I really like what Sarah said about, you know, not becoming resentful about the running process, because I do think that if you um, say that I can never do these things with my friends, then you are going to end up hating running. <laughs> so really, um, I really like to try and keep that balance for people and the same thing. Thing if they really like um, 
biking a little bit, like then we'll have like a cross training day where they have biking built in. And so trying to just have these like different compromises with the athlete, as long as the communication is there. Now, if they're like skipping long runs all the time or not doing the training and then going with friends, then that's different. But I feel like, um, you know, just trying to find some of that balance, um, a little bit, maybe just, I'm really big into the athletes communicating with the coach on this, just so that, you know, we can try to help you guide you and like giving some hard boundaries as to like, like, yes, we might be able to switch this one long run, but we don't want to get in the habit of doing this all the time sort of thing. Um, so you know, give and take there. I wouldn't say it's like hardcore regimented, but also you have to have a little bit of structure and that's what we're here for to kind of guide you. Totally. Drew, I'd love to know how you approach this as an athlete and coach. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously everything that you uh, coaches are saying really resonate with me because it's all the facts. Um, however, you also got to think, I know there are several microcosm athletes that have families and have kids and, and part of part of this. And, and when I read this question is like, like maybe having or wanting to spend time with your family and spend time with your kids doing activities, which is also, I think more important than going and hanging out with your friends and doing stuff like that. And so, um, obviously balance is part of it. Um, but also trying to incorporate whether it's your family or whether it's your friends, incorporate them into like, what's important to you right? So just because your friends or your family are always going out and doing these adventures, you're like, man, I really want to do that, but I can't because I got this XYZ long run, whatever. Um, what about planning? Like, look at it the opposite way. What about planning something where you're like, okay, I've got this really tough 20 miler that I have to do this weekend. I would really love it if my friends could be a part of that and, and maybe spend, like make an adventure out of it. You know what I mean? Go to a new place, do something um, different, uh, maybe plan like mini aid stations. Like my, my family, my wife has been super supportive of my running and I've had long runs where she'll be like, I'm going to set up an aid station for you, a couple of them. And I'm going to take the kids there and we're going to cheer you on as you go by just like on a random Saturday. And so I'm um, trying to make an adventure out of what you're doing to kind of get a little bit of that, that adventuresque, you know, um, experience could be a really useful uh, strategy as well. Yeah, I love one that. Of, yeah, one of Sarah. my fa favorite ways to do that is like, I know it's not super environmentally friendly because it takes two cars, but like I'll go drive up to Brainerd Lake and do a run. And then my kids and husband will drive up and meet me at the trailhead at the end of my run and we'll do a family hike at the end. And like, that's one of my favorite things to do. Exactly what you're saying, where it's like, how can I you know, I want to do my thing. I want to do my adventure, but I don't want to miss a whole family day. Um, so that's, that's one strategy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I think that again, like giving people like letting, especially if you're feeling like, man, I'm missing an opportunity for connection. Like your only way to connect isn't to join other people. You can invite people to join you. Like you have that ability. Like I, I think something I see like a kind of micro level of this a lot is people who will be like, oh, I ran with a friend and I dropped my hill strides because I didn't want to do my hill strides with my friend. I'm like, no, bring your friend along for hill strides. Like 
it's not like you shouldn't have to sacrifice for your friend. Like a, they can just chill for literally two minutes while you do, while you bang out your hill strides or, and like, that's fine. Like I've waited, like Kylie and I have like done so many runs together where like, you know, we'll do five miles and then I'll do a tempo and she'll do a workout and then we meet up again. And you know, like it's there, like you shouldn't have to always, like it is not onto you to internalize other people's scheduling stuff or like to make your run a site for comfort for others, like meet in the middle, bring people along the way, let them in on your adventures. Um, but yeah, I think it is totally about balance. Right. And like, you don't want to like again, like if you can, if you're too regimented, then that can lead you to a place of burnout. But I think like really piggybacking off what Sarah said, really approaching it with a mindset of like, don't think I can't do this or my coach doesn't want me to do this um, because that's definitely a breeding ground for resentment and burnout and really try to approach all things with flexibility and understanding what your core values are and how those are influencing your decisions. I really think is kind of the, the best way to, to approach this. And then again, understanding you can't do it all. Like there is no universe in which you can have every adventure and then race every race at your potential. Um, and we all have to make sacrifices along the way. And it's just um, part of the human experience deciding what you are able to do and what you're not gonna be able to do. And I think that that like letting go of the idea you can do it all is, is really freeing. I think that real quick too, before we move on that, that if you are finding yourself um, maybe upset or just like having that FOMO experience um, because of impromptu adventures, having like a training program um, for what I assume for most of us are really big adventures, we'll say really big tasks, impromptu. And then like these really important training plans don't make sense to me. And so uh, kind of like Sarah had said, like you can plan these adventures, you can plan stuff out um, so that it makes sense within your running schedule. Um, but, but in my mind, if my friends are like, oh, by the way, in an hour, we're going to go to the lake for the day and, and jet ski. It's like, I need more notice than an hour. Like, can we plan to do this in maybe like three or four weeks and, and kind of go about it that way? But um, impromptu and what we're doing as, as athletes and as coaches just doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't jive. Yeah, I think that's, 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 that's pretty accurate. It's like, again, like there is space for adventure, but can we always fly by the seat of our pants and do whatever we want? Like, no, we can't. <laughs> that's an unfortunate, I think an unfortunate, actually maybe a fortunate truth. Like, again, like I think that for me giving up some things to pursue others is what gives those like that helps me understand the meaning behind those things. And like, really, again, just like not shying away from the discomfort of knowing that you're going to miss out on things. And instead saying like, this is awesome. Like I'm going to miss out on some stuff, but that's because this other thing really matters to me. And I'm strong and smart enough and brave enough to make these vulnerable decisions. You know, we have kind of a similar question. I feel like piggybacks on some of the same topics and I'm stoked to hear what other coaches think. In this, uh, here's the question. In the same vein, I often find myself regretting missing adventures with friends. What are some things you coaches do to work through regret? It could apply to training, races, or general life opportunities. I just wanted to see how y'all have dealt with it in your own personal experiences and your mindsets if you ever have regret. 
I love this question. And I think what I would say, and I'd be really curious to hear what Sarah thinks um, about my answer as well, is that regret is a really powerful teacher and it can help us get to know more about ourselves and where our core values are. If you consistently regret missing out on adventures, that could tell us a little more information about what you value. Is it connection? Is it adventure? Is it finding out, um, you know, is it time outside? Is it like what where is that regret coming from? I think that regret is, gets kind of a bad rap in our culture. And it's a, you know, it, while it may not be the most pleasant emotion, making decisions in order to avoid regret is a poor place to come from. We shouldn't make decisions in order to avoid negative emotions. Negative emotions are normal part of being a person. You should, again, make decisions that are in line with your core values. And when inevitably some negative emotions come up along the way, that's just an opportunity to learn more about yourself. Like if I regret, like I remember when I was struggling with an injury this winter, regretting a lot of giving up a lot of time with friends to train more. And then when I was injured, I felt like I was kind of missing out on some connections with friends. What that taught me is that I needed to make sure I was still connecting with friends, even when training was going really, really well and setting aside time for that in a way that still facilitated high level training. But then when I did need to step away from my athletic identity, I still had other places to go. Um, so I think, again, like understanding regret and knowing that it's an OK thing, it's a normal emotion um, and that maybe trying to avoid it could actually lead you into more trouble than just embracing it and trying to learn from it. Sarah, what are, what are, what are, what's coming up for you? What are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's great, right? Like all emotions serve a purpose and, um, their information. Um, and so, you know, I think that like, I would recommend journaling, talking to somebody, um, and really exploring like, what, what are you regretting? Is it, do you feel like you missed something? And then, you know, really, I, I would take that a step further, maybe, and see um, if there are some, like, assumptions made in that, like, I bet it was the best time ever, and everybody just had so much fun, and nothing went wrong, you know, like, are you um, regretting, like, missing out on something that, like, didn't actually happen, it's just this, like, idealized version of what happened, you know, so um, I would try to pay attention to some of the, like, are there some assumptions that you're making or um, generalizations that you're making? But I definitely think trying to get to the source of what it is, right? Like, what are you feeling like you're missing out on or what are you regretting? And then um, if you're, you know, I think there's something to be said, though, like, if you're consistently sad that you chose to run or you consistently feel like you made the wrong choice like it is a great time to go back to your why or to really think about like well what are my core values I really thought that running was the most important thing to me but every time I run I feel sad and I feel like I'm missing out well that's not what we're looking for right and so that's not good so I think you want to go back to the why a little bit and and try to um, reconnect with the reason that you're running or the whatever the regrets about like um the reason that you opted for the other thing right like there was something there was a reason that you made that choice so connect with the reason that you made that choice reconfirm that spend some time not in the like regret of what I didn't have but focusing on like the thing that you chose to do instead what was the benefit of that why did you choose to do that what was the outcome of that and you know I think we can get into that negative space where we're like just putting all of our attention, focusing on the thing we missed out on. And 
not realizing like, oh yeah, I had a great run today, or I like really like put a solid brick in my training or whatever it is. And so I would try to shift the focus away from the event you didn't do and focus instead on that, um, that you did. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. Drew, I'd love to know what your thoughts are on regret or if this is something that ever comes up for you. Yeah. So my, my immediate thought is that I need to hire Sarah to be my therapist because I, <laughs> I, to be completely honest with you, I do kind of struggle with regret every now and then. Um, and I feel like that, like you said, Zoe, it's a very normal human emotion. Um, and so trying not to be like super down about it, but I'm, I'm one of those that constantly has issues with FOMO. Like I I'm like <laughs> the quintessential, like bad not bad person, but just like all these negative things that we talk about, like I embody all of them. Like I want to do everything. I want to make everyone happy. I want to go on all the adventures. Like that is me. And so oftentimes I do have regret, usually when it comes to missing time with my family, I'm a very family oriented person. Um, and so dealing with it, it's, it's trying to, I guess, make, um, like learn from it, obviously, like this is how I feel when I do this, maybe moving forward, like the exact opposite of what Zoe said, maybe looking forward, maybe what are some things that I can change so that I don't feel so bad, but still get an opportunity to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So in, in full transparency and full honesty, like it's something that I'm still working through as a, as a person as well. So I don't have a lot of tips on how to uh, handle it, but I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah. But I think even that, like, again, like, sure. I think, you know, on the call, it can be easy to be like, wow, like these people are all so great and amazing. And like, surely our coaches never struggle with these things. Like the reason that maybe we can come across as more expert in them is because we've like hardcore struggled with a lot of these things. And we're either still in that struggle. Maybe we've gotten to the other side of that struggle. Um, maybe we're just about to encounter that struggle, but like, I think we're all, you know, like Drew said, really speaking to this from a perspective of like, yeah, we've like, we've seen all of this, you know, we've seen it in ourselves. We see it in our athletes. Um, yeah. Like Sarah said in the chat, like, you know, congrats, you're human. Like there's a support group for what you feel and it's called all of us. <laughs> so <laughs> like these things are super, super normal. But again, I think like understand they can be really good teachers and that it's not bad to struggle with them. Like sometimes you really have to, you know, feel it out and work through it to really understand what your perspective is on it. And like listening to your coaches talk about it on a podcast may not be the, the terminus of that, of that learning journey. And you just have to like make a few mistakes and like work through regret and like feel it out. And we're just here to, you know, be non-judgmental guides along the way. Kylie, I'd love to know like what comes up for you around this. I'm kind of like, Drew, I don't know if I have like actual advice, but I would say for myself, um, uh, I've always kind of identified with running and, um, it's been like an all consuming identity. So, uh, when I've gotten injured in the last couple, in the last five years, trying to figure out like, what other things can I be doing to, so that I, um, kind of diversify and have other things in my life. Um, so kind of, uh, that I wouldn't want to say balance, but just having other interests and trying to make it not all about running. <laughs> um, yeah. so I don't know if that, I don't know. If that, um, I guess the regret would be like, maybe not ha having a diverse enough, um, 
set of like interests. And so trying to do that now um, would be something I'm trying to work on. <laughs> yeah. It's never too late. Right. Like these are, you know, like you're not 18, you know, like you can keep reinventing yourself and finding new facets of yourself all the time. Like something I love as Kylie's friend and training partner is like watching her really dive into like her dog agility stuff. Like it's a, I love dogs and will consume any amount of dog content, but it's really cool. I think to see a friend who like primarily I got to know through athletics, like really embracing their full selves. And like for Kylie, I would guess that competition and connection through competition is a core value. And like time outside is a core value for her. And it's cool to see her embodying those values through a lens, like through a vehicle that's not just running, right? Like competing with her dogs, like in dog shows and dog agility is a way that she can still fulfill some deeper whys that go beyond athletics. And I feel like I'm always looking for things like that in, in my life too. I just want to say like when Drew had said he was sort of saying the opposite of what Zoe was saying because Zoe was saying to not um you know to not resist uh regret and he's saying you know moving forward what can I change differently and I actually think it's the, it's the same thing like by allowing yourself to feel it you can explore that feeling and be get information from it so why am I feeling this way what caused me to feel this way you know what are the circumstances what's the environment what makes it worse what makes it better and then with that information next time I can make choices to reduce future regret so it's like not turning away from the feeling in the moment but certainly it makes sense to want to minimize it in the future so using that feeling to to guide those choices totally yeah thanks for I think that you totally just nailed it right and I think that like Drew and I are talking about like two like basically bookends and that's just the bridge that connects them that I love that. Um, thanks, Sarah. Um, Ooh, here's a juicy one. Uh, question. I only, I love social media because it connects me to others and there's a lot of great information out there, but I also feel bad about myself a lot when I see other people doing cooler things or more badass things or people who are fitter and faster than I am. How do you keep a healthy relationship with social media so you don't have to totally get rid of it? I love this because I am all about creating healthy social media boundaries. And for me, if there's something that triggers negative feelings and like there's sometimes where it's like, you know, we don't want to shy away from or minimize negative feelings. However, on social media, like you're the boss. Well, I mean, a, these platforms are kind of designed so that you're not the boss. So it's really up to you to try to take as much control as you can and set healthy boundaries before you engage. So for me, if I notice there are types of content that are not good for my mental state, make trigger insecurity. Um, and again, like someone who's in eating disorder recovery, I have to set super strict boundaries around like what sort of imagery I can, you know, experience without like, you know, short, you know, creating uh, negative, negative kind of stuff. Um, and I think that like, for me, it comes down to setting those boundaries before I engage with that platform. So like before I even open my phone I, or before I open the app, I need to like, A, make sure I'm not just doing it because I'm bored or because I'm trying to avoid negative emotions. Like if I'm stuck on a project at work, I need to make sure I'm not just immediately defaulting to scrolling in order to avoid sitting with the negative emotion of like, oh, this task is hard. I'm not as good a writer as I want to be. I'm not as good a boss as I want to be. I need to make sure I'm not using social media as an escape. A, um, B, just like knowing like I 
like as soon as something creates a negative emotion in me, get it out of the feed, um, unfollow that person. I think it's getting a lot harder now that the feed is pulling in a lot of stuff from people I don't follow. Um, like I've definitely struggled with, like, I really love following like Kylie's nutrition advice, but unfortunately Instagram takes nutrition advice and recipes and will sometimes occasionally start to bring in diet stuff that I have to really disengage from. So for me, if I see something that like is about calorie restriction or what someone eats in a day or any kind of like basically anything that's like even reminiscent of diet culture, I'm out. Like that's, that's not for me. I set that boundary immediately. I don't need to consume that content. Um, I think similarly, like on Strava, if there's someone who like, even if they're a really good friend of mine, if their activities make me feel less than or create anything other than an unconditionally positive space for me, I unfollow them. And it's, you know, they get it. Like I've had people unfollow me. Like, I think that we're all getting a lot more comfortable with knowing like, oh, this person's setting a boundary. Like, even if I'm the boundary, I believe in boundary setting generally if the boundary is at me, more power to you, like no hard feelings. I love when people are able to create healthy spaces for themselves. So I think that really just like a under like, and I know that we all know this on an intellectual level, but whenever you start to feel like, oh, wow, this person's way fitter, this person's way more badass, know that no one has ever posted a photo without thinking very deeply about how they look in it. Like I freaking promise you, they didn't just pick like whatever, I'm going to toss this up there. They thought about it. They made sure that they looked as good as possible in it. Them's the rules. Don't love them, but like, just know that everyone is always trying to perform their best selves, their best adventure, their best looking body. What you're seeing is like a very edited, curated version of that. And I know we all know that, but it's really important to remind ourselves on a gut level that that is what we are seeing, um, particularly when we see people that look fitter or are having cooler adventures. Like, you know, we're not posting the like, here I am bloated on the couch watching Netflix photo. Maybe we should. I would watch. I would I would like that tap. I would double tap the heck out of that. But, you know you're only ever seeing the tip of the iceberg. Um, and I think that that's always really, really important to remind yourself, like, is this person fitter than me or did they just get a photo at a pretty baller angle on a mountain? Just a question to ask yourself, Sarah, I'd love to know what you think about navigating social media. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good reminder, right? We're comparing our everyday life to people's highlight reels and you can't do that. Um, you're not seeing, you're just seeing the things they're cultivating and choosing to show you. So trying to hold in mind that that's not reality. And also in the world of uh, like, I mean, I say Photoshop because I'm old, but like filters or whatever, you know, there are just a million ways that the thing in front of you cannot just be trusted at face value. And so trying to hold that you know, I think it's always important to be mindful of your relationship with social media. So for example, if you um, want to engage with it less and you find that you can't, like you're telling yourself, oh, I'm only going to look at it twice a day, but you're looking at it five or six times a day or whatever it is, then that's an indication that it's got more control than you do. Um, and if that's the case, it's probably a good time to maybe take a break or um, challenge yourself to, um, yeah, walk away from a little bit and, and balance that relationship out. Um, similarly, if you're like, okay, I'm going to look at this for 10 minutes and then you sit down and it's been an hour. Um, again, like that's showing that, um, 
that particular app or whatever has a little bit more control in that situation. So it's a good time to do some reflection and, and try to build in some ways for you to have control. So things like um, setting timers on your phone, um, like self-control apps or those sorts of apps that don't let you open um, websites or um, yeah, get on Instagram or social, you can, you can do that because sometimes um, it's when we're starting out, it's hard to have that self-control and people will say, well, I should just, I should just be able to do, I shouldn't have to depend on those sorts of things. I should be a strong enough person, but you know, just set yourself up for success by using the apps that are available and using timers and those sorts of things to support you. Um, and if you get on social media and when you get off, you feel bad, that's maybe an indication that like, hey, it's not adding much to your life right Sorry, my headphones just died. Um, can you guys still hear me? Yes. Yeah, okay. even clearer actually. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, you know, paying attention to how you feel both before you get on it and after you get on it. So um, if you tend to be opening it because like Zoe was saying, like what, you know, is it just I'm bored or like, I wanna see what people are doing or is there some sort of soothing that comes from it? You know, trying to pay attention to your feelings both before and after you engage with social media can give you um, some insight as to, to really what your relationship is with it. I think sometimes we don't have the awareness. We think, oh yeah, it makes me feel good. Um, and we're not tuning in. And so I would, I would pay attention to that. Um, and then I just think, yeah, the recommendations about really, I, anytime somebody does a, what I eat in the day and they're a hundred pounds soaking wet and wearing, you know, I, I don't follow them. Yeah. Um, like or, always ask yourself, like, is it this person's job to look like this? If so, do not trust them. Right. Um, like, do they yeah. have a staff? Does this person, you know, like, is, you know, I, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> what I are their resources? Attention. How are they different than mine? I pay attention to people I respect. Like I, I have followed new dietitians after following Kylie and see who Kylie reposts. Right. And so I respect Kylie. I see who she respects and you know, who she's getting information from. And then I follow those sorts of sources. And I think doing that sort of thing, like who, you know, the, the pages that you like, that you feel good about, who are they promoting, you know, follow those pages unfollow the other ones. Zoe, um, last year I learned when we kind of, we talked about this topic, you, you had said that, um, you know, Instagram's tricky. Like you will unfollow pages. You're taking care of yourself, but they're tracking your eyes. So you're scrolling, you're trying to do the right thing. And they put something in front of you that, you know, you struggle with and you spend those extra couple seconds looking at it. Well, they notice that and now they're going to flood your feed with more of that stuff. So it's not just like, oh yeah, I cleaned out my feed that one day and I got rid of a bunch of toxic accounts. And so now I don't have to think about it anymore. You really want to be paying attention. And if you see a post and it does not make you feel good, like as soon as you feel that in you, like go ahead and unfollow that person. Like there's no reason to put that in front of yourself. Um, you know, it's like a social media diet. Like you want to think about the things that you're consuming, not just the food that you're consuming, but what are you feeding your brain? Um, yeah. so when you see those, uh, when the, the things that you are looking at on Instagram or Facebook, whatever it is, that's the food that you're giving your brain. Right. And so be really mindful of that, care about it. And, um, don't just like let everything that shows up come in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so, so critical. And I think like, again, like people should really give themselves a break. Like it's not that you're weak or you're not super smart. Like, you know, there's, you know, 
these coaches, like we're all educated to the teeth. That being said, these apps are designed by people who have PhDs and taking your attention away from what matters to you, right? Like these are people who have designed casinos and who have designed like algorithms that learn who you are and what it, what takes up your attention. So just, you know, cut yourself slack if you're in the struggle and know that that's, that is the product. Like it is normal to struggle with this. Like they are made to be addictive. They are made to, um, prey on your insecurities. And so if you're someone who's like, I don't feel like having my insecurities preyed on today, set boundaries. Um, something that's been really helpful for me is the freedom app. I have that on my computer and my phone to help me focus when I need to get writing done. Um, and I also will set my phone in grayscale. And I've noticed that is actually the most effective way to prevent mindless scrolling. Weirdly, like putting your phone in black and white, like makes it much less enjoyable to engage with. And I've noticed that that was one of the biggest things I could do to cut down on my screen time, but it still made like texting fine. Like I could still use maps and everything. It just like, I would look at like two pictures on Instagram. And I'm like, oh, they're in black and white. Like it just wouldn't light up my, like, you know, my dope, my brain would not flood with dopamine, just looking at black and white photos of dogs or runners. And, um, yeah, I think I've just, you know, had to like really intentionally, like, again, like I'm a smart person. I know how these things work, but nonetheless, I have a human brain and I, you know, got to work with the tools I have. Um, Drew, I'd love to know what your advice is. I think we, you know, we've gotten a lot of input from, from the ladies here. I'd love to know, like, as a, as a dad, as a dude, like what, what does the space look like for you? I like that Sarah said, everything's fake. It's all fake. And I know it's fake. Like nothing on there is real. Even if it's real, it's not real. It's fake. Um, and so <laughs> Reels like, aren't I, real. yeah, exactly. That's kind of where I go to in my mind when I'm looking at anything on social media, I absolutely hate that uh, specifically, well, I guess Facebook does it too, but Instagram like does flood with whatever it thinks that you want to see, which can be tough to, to navigate the waters. Just like y'all have already talked about. Um, but something I like to do, I don't really like to follow people that I don't know. And I know that sounds kind of old fashioned and I sound like a, my 65 year old grandmother, but I just like, like if, if I don't go out and just like follow all these pro runners, like I don't know them, I've never met them. I don't really care about the content they're putting out. Cause to me, it's fake when I've got real people like the other coaches in microcosm or friends that I've made over the years um, that I know are real people. And I do care about what they're doing in their lives and, and the content that they put out. And so I just kind of navigate the waters that way. I, Instagram and Facebook aren't really fun to me. Like they're fun to other people probably because I, I live in the real world or at least I try to as most as, uh, as best I can, but that's kind of, uh, it probably sounds boring. If you were to go through your Instagram and be like, I'm going to delete everyone. I don't know of like these thousand people I follow, how many people do you really like keep up with on a daily basis? And you'd probably find out that it's really not that many. And so I just really limit my exposure to the outside as best as I can, um, and then kind of go from there. Yeah, I think that's so smart. Kylie, I'd love to know what your input is, particularly because you're someone that uses social media a lot to grow your business. So like, it's kind of part of your job. How do you set these boundaries? I mean, I probably don't have good enough boundaries is the problem. Um, because when you're using it for business, like you kind of have to use the app in order for it to, for you to like see some level of success because um, it's set up that way. <laughs> so I've tried to 
like have times where I'll like like blocked out or I'll like do post and, and or like interact with the app um and like with people that interact with me because that's the other thing is like I'll get questions like dms about nutrition or like working with me etc so I can't just like not go for days looking at it and then expect to be able to like have people come to me for nutrition help if I'm using it for my business. Um, so it's a hard balance for me. I actually should probably be better with boundaries on the social media side of things. Um, I, uh, with my clients, I have had to have conversations with them kind of like you, Zoe and Sarah um, were saying like trying to unfollow unhelpful um, accounts, especially with my eating disorder and disordered eating clients who will express that these things are like very triggering for them. And, um, and then sometimes I'll even get glimpses of like, people will be doing certain things with their eating and they're like following someone else that's doing that. But then to find out that that person struggles with eating problems. So like, it's it's tough because I think people in the space get drawn into these like traps of thinking and um, ways of eating, et cetera. And I'm using eating just because that's the, who I work with. But um, but yeah, I mean, I love your guys's. I actually love your guys's tips um, for you know setting those boundaries and and kind of like unfollowing unhelpful accounts um, when you recognize them. But it's hard sometimes for people to recognize that those accounts might be unhelpful. So I've had to talk through some of that with some of my own clients. Yeah. And I think like, you know, kind of like how Sarah talked about, like thinking of it in terms of a diet, like I have also really intentionally made sure that I follow athletes of all body types doing stuff. Cause like, that's actually really good for your brain to see people in these beautiful bodies out doing really cool stuff. Like there are ways that you can add in things that are helpful, positive, and productive. Like I follow a ton of eating disorder recovery accounts. I follow like hella therapists on Instagram and like engaging with that stuff. Like I, there are like, again, like the reason I haven't totally divested from social media is because I've gained a lot of really good stuff from it as well. Like I actually had kind of a weird um, experience at Western States realizing a lot of my crew were people that I had met on the internet and we had become real friends in the real world. And it's those relationships, like, but for me, like I need to bring it into the real world in order for it to make sense. Like that is the ultimate goal for me is to not just leave it online, but like to recruit these people into my real life. And to the extent where I'm like, oh, this isn't something I would really want to bring into my actual real life. That's when I want it out of my digital life as well. Like understanding that I want to not have split identities online on earth. Um, I want to be a more whole person because that's what works for me. And understanding that like, again, like adding people in who are going to like either, you know, challenge me to be a better person who are going to bring in really interesting, like maybe ideas about therapy, eating disorder recovery, who are going to help me, like who are going to fill my feed with like positive images, maybe of dogs or of like big gorgeous vegan meals that are easy to cook on a wheat night like there are good things out there and so I think that like it's important for me to at least share that like 
from my perspective, because those positive things exist out there, because that real connection exists there, I'm not at this point ready to set the hard boundary of totally disconnecting from social media, but I do have to be very regimented about how I engage with it to make sure that the dogs and the real friends come through as opposed to the, the yucky stuff out there. Yeah, I think it's a good reminder that plenty of people um, don't have social media and live happy, oh, yeah. happy, full lives. And so, you know, if you feel pressure to be on it, just because like I have a, a therapy client that I work with and she says, well, on Saturdays I get on Instagram because I need to like people's posts so that I stay connected with them. And it's really just an obligation that she feels to support people more than like she gets anything from it. So I think exploring that, like, do you like it? Is it, you know, do you get something out of it? Do you do it? Cause you feel like you have to, you know, and then also thinking about, um, the way that your own goals um, or expectations for yourself might be um, motivated, good or bad from social media, right? So, oh, everybody on my feed is doing an ultra. I guess I should do an ultra. That's really cool. They get a lot of likes when they do that. That's so cool. People really like it, right? Well, that's not a good why behind doing an ultra, right? And so thinking, um, just, yeah, trying to pay attention again, it's, it's that, that gaining awareness, paying attention to yourself um, when you're reacting to posts or really feeling emotionally responsive to them um, to just try to, um, yeah, not be fully driven by emotion and to not just do it for the gram, right? That shouldn't be our primary motivator. Yeah, absolutely. And I like, yeah, again, like, you know, there's tons of people who are maybe like, oh my God, quit talking about this. Like I've been off this for years, like amazing, great mental health decision, be proud of you. Um, and for some people that might be the ultimate goal. Maybe that's like, and you know, I could get there eventually as well. Like I'm, you know, I'm not trying to cling too tightly to either, either side of this. And I'm just proud of everyone who's intentionally engaging with this decision, setting boundaries, um, wherever that boundary is. Um, yeah. Oh, a training question now that we've done a couple really fun, juicy kind of mental questions. Um, should I take pace off my watch? What are the advantages? I love letting the data drive me and show me all the ways I'm improving. Will I lose that if I take pace off my watch? My number one advice I give to every client I onboard is take pace off your watch. I don't train by pace. It is not helpful. Like it's been scientific. Like there are lots of studies that actually show it tends to be more negative for athletes than positive. Um, I think the one exception is if you are training for a marathon, there could be some workouts in which it's helpful to have pace on your watch, but for almost everyone else, like actually letting the data drive you again, unless you're trying to, you know, unless we're doing a workout where you need to hit 80, 90% of your marathon effort, take pace off your watch. Your data should never be driving the training. Your, how you feel should be driving the training. How you feel is a more honest examination of like, what are your fatigue levels? What is the weather like? Um, what are all these things that you're bringing into the run that your watch can never understand? And that is so much more important in terms of nailing the correct effort level than numbers ever will be. So I think that if you're looking for validation from numbers, it only works until it stops working and it will stop working for absolutely everyone always. Like you are not always going to like, if you're going for a PR every time or you're trying to hit like the same easy effort every time you are going to be disappointed. Someday those numbers will upset you. It is going to happen to absolutely every single athlete many times over and over again. So your 
best judgment is to take those numbers um, off your watch and don't use that as a heuristic on which to judge yourself. Because like, sure, you might be getting feedback that you like now, but eventually because fatigue accumulates during training cycles, like there are points in training where like we as coaches would want to see those numbers change um, and not like, it's not in a bad way, but like there are times where you're going to be running through more fatigue than others. So like your easy pace will be a little bit slower at a certain point in the training cycle than at the beginning, like coming off a down week, coming off a big workout. Um, and I think that if, again, like if you're looking to those numbers to validate your progress, eventually you're going to be disappointed and you should start intentionally seeking out other metrics to judge your progress. Like, do I feel healthier? Am, are my easy days actually feeling easier? Am I able to recover better? Like for me, the number one thing I look for in athletes to see, like, is this person progressing is, is their recovery progressing? Like that's, that's a really big thing I look for. I also look for gaps in paces, not just at the numbers. Like I really love seeing athletes whose workout days are noticeably faster than their easy days. Like I want to see a nice big gap between your high end and your low end. Um, and a lot of times, because there's only so much you can push that high end, one of the easiest ways to do that is to keep dropping that low end. Um, and so yeah, pace just isn't a good way to do that. I think people that pay attention to pace will oftentimes find themselves running their workouts too hard, running their easy days too hard, um, and becoming really, really self-critical in ways that are counterproductive for training. Drew, I'd love to know, like, as kind of our marathon expert, like there are times where I'm sure you have your athletes trained by pace. How do you navigate this question? Well, it's like you said, there are athletes who are maybe a little bit faster running shorter distances where pace is important. Uh, for example, I like to have a lot of my pretty much like marathon and down run a lot of their, um, I guess, easy days need to be easy. Like it needs to feel easy, but at the same time, it needs to be no slower than like, I just give them say 90 seconds slower than their, their desired marathon pace. I feel like there is a, there is a gap between your everyday normal, like easy run forever pace and your race pace. And if you get used to running, uh, those, those like normal everyday miles so much slower than your desired marathon pace, that, that, that gap on race day or that gap in workouts, um, just feels really overwhelming and overbearing and can feel, um, more difficult to say the least. And so it's trying to get those specific athletes used to like that 60 to 90 seconds slower than your desired marathon pace. I want that to feel easy. That needs to be easy. So all the metrics you use in terms of effort-based training need to fit within that 30 second, you know, window or whatever. Um, and I know that's very different, uh, compared to athletes that are obviously running further distances this ultra marathoners and stuff like that. But um, there, there, in my mind, there is very much a place for uh, pace-based efforts. Um, but at the same time, I, I mean, Zoe, you're absolutely correct. Like, like people, uh, myself included, kind of get overhyped when it comes to like looking down on my watch and seeing like, oh my gosh, that mile was faster than I normally run on this route. Like I must be feeling good today. It shouldn't be like that. You should feel good. And then the pace just is what it is. Right. And so, um, uh, removing pace, or I know all of us either have like a Coros or a Garmin or a Timex or whatever your GPS watches, uh, all of them. Now you have different faces that, that you can 
go through different activity phases that all you got to do is push like the up or down button and it switches to a whole different screen that maybe just tells you your distance and that's it or, or your distance and your cumulative time and that's it it is not hard to get your watch set up like this and have multiple screens for multiple different activities so i hope that no one's going back well i can't even figure out my watch i'm not even going to mess with it it's easy and if you need help let me know i can get you taken yeah. care of youtube that or text group Sarah, I'd love to know, like, what, I don't know, how do you, how do you navigate this in your own training and with athletes as well? Yeah, I don't pay attention to my pace at all, um, pretty much. I don't even know what it is anymore, but I used to when I did roads and it was such, I would like, you know, run on a Wednesday and then Thursday, my average pace would be 15 seconds per mile slower. And I would feel terrible about myself and whatever right but what your watch doesn't know is what you ate that day and how much you slept last night and how stressed you are at work and da, da, da. there are a million factors that go into our pace in any given day and so focusing on that um you know i find isn't particularly helpful i think the best thing for any athlete. And I think this is actually really in line with what Drew was saying, like learning that easy pace. The best thing to do is to learn your body and what feels good and what feels easy. Like uh, I think someone starting out, you know, um, might need to look at their watch constantly to know if they're in that, that range, but like, ideally, you know, what that feels like, you know, what these different paces feel like, or, you know, like, Hey, this is, it's 94% humidity today. So like, this is what hard feel or easy feels like today. I don't care what it says on my watch. I know I'm working hard. I'm sweating. I'm trying. It, it really doesn't matter what my watch says. Right. And so I think that you want to remember that your body knows more than your watch knows and that that's where most of the information is. And if you feel like you got to the end of the run, you kicked butt, it was a great run. And then you look at your watch and seeing those numbers changes how you feel about the run. Like that's right. That's that that's not the information. Like it shouldn't change your mind because you know, your body knows way more than your watch knows. Um, so yeah, I don't think, um, I don't think you need to have pace on your watch because I think where you want to get as a runner is somebody who, who knows what easy feels like, who knows what tempo feels like, who knows like those different efforts. Yeah. That's so smart. And I think that like, again, like a big goal we all have as coaches is helping our athletes know their bodies better. Like TJ, I, um, he was testing a watch for trail runner magazine and he was like, I freaking hate that. It tells me like a mile and a half into every run, what my performance is compared to baseline. Like a, those are again, based on black box algorithms. So you don't know what numbers it's even using to make that decision. That should a make you very suspect B it's likely using heart rate from your wrist, which is so inaccurate that like the number one, like if you make one change today, it's a, write your senator. B, take heart rate off your watch. Don't use it. It is unusable. You literally cannot use, like I would freaking, like I would rather you guess. Give me, like roll the dice. That is as accurate as wrist-based heart rate is. Don't use wrist-based heart rate. It is bad. It has never been good. It will never be good. Your wrist is very far away from your heart. Um, that's just like, I, there is, I don't care if you paid $1,200 for your watch, don't use wrist-based heart rate on it. That company is lying to you. It is not a good metric. Um, don't use it. 
uh, Kylie, I'm wondering like, what, like, I don't know, do you, what, what do you, <laughs> well, I think you guys kind of covered it, but I, that's like why I love trail running because you can't really pay attention to like the trails are so different and you really can't pay attention to pace, um, on them. I mean, you can, if you do the same route every day, but I just, I don't advise doing, paying that a close attention to your pace. Um, but for those that are training for like road races for key workouts and things, I do think that utilization of pace for key workouts is really important and coming from a road background, um, you know, like, uh, Sarah was saying, like, it was very, uh, pace oriented, which it can be helpful, but also a detriment. So, uh, I had to learn the hardest thing for me to learn was easy pace and it still is a struggle sometimes. So the best thing you can do is honestly, not even, sometimes I don't even take a watch because I'm like, I just need to like, not focus on anything at all. Even if I'm tempted to like, I'll have it timing or whatever, but then like, you can still kind of see the pace. So it's like, for me, sometimes I'll just go without a watch. Cause I know that a certain loop is a certain distance and I'll just go try to go super easy. And, um, and I advise that athletes do that sometimes just to take away from that, like obsessiveness. So, yeah, I think frequently I'll see the most data-driven athletes struggle the most progressing just because they're paying attention to the wrong benchmarks. So like they're, maybe they are progressing according to the data, but like, that doesn't matter on, like, if you're running again, like this is different for marathon training, if you're training for a half marathon, a 5k, I'm speaking primarily in the context of, I work mostly with trail athletes and long distance athletes, um, or even folks who like may never race and just want to be healthy and have a healthy running habit, particularly for those folks, like no, you don't need the watch. Um, and I think that again, like investigate, why do you feel like you need this? Do you need it because you're trying to hit a certain time in the marathon? Boom. Um, that's great. Uh, if, if not like, you know, does this, you know, Marie Kondo, your watch does this spark joy. If not out of here, uh, Marie Kondo, your Instagram feed, Marie Kondo, your closet today, uh, clean out your life, clean out your watch. And then when you're done, come to my house and help me clean out my closet. Cause I, I really need help. And yeah, that's, that's all, that's all I have today. But uh, thanks for everyone who tuned in live and who's tuning in, in the future. Um, we're cheering on TJ at the silver rush 50 this weekend. He's dialing in his mental game as we speak and yeah, excited for all of our athletes racing this weekend and taking on adventures and life training, parenting business. Yeah. You guys are awesome. Woohoo. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye. See you later.